Hey, thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review for me in iTunes. You can also check out my all-too-rarely-updated website at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. This week finally brings us to the American continents. I really just couldn't find many movies to choose from, and with that in mind, Kings of the Sun is probably one of the most poorly reviewed movies on my entire list. It has no critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and a 32% audience score, though a far from embarrassing 6.3 on IMDb. So bad, but could be worse, and fortunately I found it very watchable. I guess I'm used to giving older movies a pass on certain things and cheesiness I wouldn't accept from a 21st century movie I'll allow in something 50 years old. The movie was directed by J. Lee Thompson, who was previously nominated for Best Director at the Oscars for The Guns of Navarone. Now, unfortunately, Kings of the Sun does not depict a specific historical event and only features one historical figure, But it does give us a great opportunity to discuss this part of the world, and they do capture several elements worth mentioning. We're dealing with the Maya civilization, and I think I've had a fundamental misunderstanding about them all my life. In my mind, I always thought of them as one governing body or empire that ruled part of the Americas for a while. But it seems to be far broader than that. The Maya were a people and a society and were certainly united by culture. Maybe we could think of them like our Mongols from last week, in the sense that there were various tribes that all considered themselves Mongols, but who each had their own leaders, fought each other, and made alliances, etc. Now, the Mayans, though, were far more advanced. The Greeks, with their rival city-states, would be the better comparison. The Maya rose in Mesoamerica, a region of roughly the bottom half of Mexico and the top half of Central America. And Mesoamerica is considered one of the independent cradles of civilization across the world. The opening voiceover of the film notes that the Maya managed to develop a remarkably advanced society in the jungles of Central America without the aid of horses or the wheel. They had large cities, and our movie today opens in one of the largest, Chichen Itza. You've likely seen pictures of Chichen Itza and its famous Pyramid El Castillo, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site built sometime in the 8th through 12th centuries. But there are hundreds of pyramids throughout Mexico, distinct from those of Egypt as they are flat on top instead of going up to a point. The opening of Kings of the Sun was actually filmed on location at Chichen Itza. We see a human sacrifice performed to please the gods. It is said this was considered an honor, and the victim was elevated to the status of a god. There's little bloody violence in the film, and it appears they just stabbed the victim with a knife to perform the sacrifice, but the most common methods were actually decapitation or cutting the heart out of the victim. Now, the plot itself is triggered when another Mayan tribe led by Hunik Kel invades. This is our lone historical figure of the film and helps us approximate the time period of the movie. Hunik Kel is said to have conquered Chichen Itza sometime in the late 12th or early 13th century, which would put our story today right around the same time as Genghis Khan. Now, recent evidence has actually disputed when and if Hunik Kel conquered Chichen Itza, and that it may have fallen a couple centuries earlier, but for today, we'll go with it. The film tells us that the reason the people of Chichen Itza have no chance is that Hunik Kel's men wield weapons of metal instead of wood and stone like those of our protagonists. This is close. Mesoamerica does seem to have had a distinct lack of metal weapons, 
but that probably would have included Hunakel as well. But again, sure, we'll we'll go with it. In the battle, the king of Chichen Itza is killed and his son Balam is named king. This Balam is fictional, but his name wasn't just pulled out of a hat either. There were many Mayan kings with the name, which means jaguar in Mayan. And they even called Balam the jaguar in the movie, and he's seen wearing jaguar skins at times. As there were no lions or tigers in Mesoamerica, the jaguar sort of held the same mystique to them and was often associated with their rulers. They managed to escape to the North Shore and recruit the help of a coastal village that is part of their kingdom. Balam decides that they almost sailed north immediately to escape Hunikel's army. I should mention that Chichen Itza is in the Yucatan Peninsula, so sailing north means across the Gulf of Mexico. His advisors are against the plan, worried that they'll sail off the edge of the world. The leader of the village says his people will help Balam if he agrees to marry his daughter, Ixchel. There's no time to negotiate it or fight about it, so Balam agrees. They load up all the village's fishing canoes and sail north, or I guess float, paddle. What do you call moving in a boat that doesn't have sails? Anyway, it's unclear how much time passes, but it does seem to be days. Balam's men are near mutiny, wanting to turn back, as it's better to die in battle than adrift at sea. Finally, they spot land. It doesn't say exactly where, but I think it's safe to assume we're on the southern coast of the modern United States, either Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, or the Florida Panhandle. They immediately begin building their new city on the shore, with a pyramid-shaped temple to the gods being the first priority. We then meet one of their new neighbors, the chief of a nearby tribe played by Yule Brenner, the Oscar-winning star of The King and I, known for his distinctive shaved head, a look more common today, but virtually unheard of in the 50s and 60s. Brenner plays Black Eagle and ambushes Balam while he's scouting away to dam off a river to irrigate their fields. Though he initially has the upper hand, Balam's men return in force and capture Black Eagle. Black Eagle is wounded at their camp, but they make a point to heal him up, and he is to be their sacrifice to the gods of water to ensure a good crop. Black Eagle doesn't know this. At first he's confused, then he guesses that they are healing him up to return him to his people as a peace offering and a token of good faith. The nurse in charge of bringing him back to health is Ixchel. She freed Balam from his promise of marriage made in haste to her father, but the movie makes it clear that they both like each other, but each is expecting the other to be the first to say something about it. As Black Eagle recovers, he is far more bold and upfront with his feelings for Ixchel and even proposes marriage. She doesn't answer one way or the other, not wanting to be the one to tell him he is to be sacrificed. One of the biggest issues with this movie here is language. I get that subbing in English for the native language of your protagonist is normal practice, but then doing the same for Black Eagle's tribe allows them to communicate freely with each other without issue, when in reality they wouldn't understand a word of each other's languages. The priest finally tells Black Eagle that he is to be sacrificed and that it's a great honor. He'll be considered a new god of their people. The priest says they will grant him anything within reason on his last night on earth. If he wishes for a woman, any child he conceives will be also treated as a god. He asks for is Shell. She goes because she's mad at Balam for not trying to stop her. Balam doesn't try to stop her because she never says she doesn't want to go. Basically, Balam and Shell are just playing a sort of romantic reverse version of chicken and they're both losing. When Ixchel goes to Black Eagle, though, he doesn't touch her. He just gives her a guilt trip over his current situation and sends her away. The next day, Black Eagle goes to the altar but refuses to participate in the ceremony. He doesn't fight, he's just not going to help them. The priests are used to the victims accepting this great honor and are ready to have him forced into position, 
But Balam, who has said multiple times throughout the movie that he's not a fan of human sacrifice, orders Black Eagle released. Basically, he's both taking pity on the brave Black Eagle and recognizing that his release will at least give them a chance at peace with Black Eagle's tribe. Black Eagle's army does arrive right at this time, prepared for a full-on assault on the Mayans. Black Eagle convinces them to stand down, and the two communities attempt to live together in harmony, but this is short-lived. We do see a Mayan worker chiseling words into a statue, a concept foreign to Black Eagle's tribe. He says he's recording the story of their journey across the sea and setting up their new home here. While this particular event isn't historical, this is an example of history, people recording their deeds for posterity. Indeed, the Maya did have a hieroglyphic-type written language that has at least been partially deciphered by modern scholars. The current academic belief is that the Maya may have been the first people in this part of the world to invent writing and had the only complete writing system in Mesoamerica. Anyway, the break occurs when Black Eagle now formally proposes marriage with Excel, and Balm's feelings finally come bursting out, and there is a brief fight between him and Black Eagle. Ixchel is actually happy that Balam has finally shown how he feels about her, but Black Eagle has realized that the two communities can't live in harmony. There's a non-violent falling out, and Black Eagle's people go back to their original encampment. And right after this, Hunikel from the beginning arrives on the shores with his army to continue their pursuit of Balam's people. And again, they don't say in the movie, but Hunikel was also a Maya. So maybe this is almost like the Athenians and the Spartans. Though they have no strong reason to, Black Eagle does decide that his people will aid Balam in the fight. They arrive just as Hunikel's men have Balam's people on the ropes. The fighting is all pretty lame, but not really any worse than most movies from this time. Black Eagle is killed in the battle, but Balam kills Hunikel and the day is won. Balam declares that even though they can now return to the Yucatan, that this should be their new permanent home, and he has Ixchel by his side. The end. Again, not horrible, but nothing really special either, and it doesn't depict anything we know to have happened. I don't think there were any Mayan groups that migrated and settled permanently in what is now the United States. Likewise, they never say what tribe Black Eagle is supposed to represent, and they've made them more similar to a nomadic plains-dwelling tribe who seem baffled by the idea of permanent settlements. In reality, this was the very part of the U.S. where Native Americans did establish cities, most famous for large mounds that they built for various purposes, many of which can still be seen today. Rewinding back in our timeline to early humans, it's most likely that people crossed into the Americas during a period about 11 to 16,000 years ago when we were still tool-using hunter and gatherers, but before we had really figured out that whole agriculture thing. This allowed thousands of years for humans to spread across the Americas and give rise to a myriad of distinct cultures and peoples. So by the time the Egyptians were growing crops and building cities, the Maya weren't too far behind. The Egyptians may have been bigger sooner, but the point is ultimately that there was a lot going on for thousands of years in the Americas before the known world became aware of it. Maybe a way to look at it is humans developed in two separate spheres, hemispheres, making the meeting of these two worlds through European exploration really the beginning of a whole new world. But we'll get more into that later on our timeline. A few other notes on the Maya and Mesoamerica in this part of the world. As far back as 1400 BCE, the people of Mesoamerica played a sort of handball or racquetball type sport. Archaeological evidence of their ball courts have been found from Arizona down to Nicaragua. The other famous kingdoms of Central and South America came later to the scene, Both the Incas in Peru and the Aztecs in Mexico, though they had antecedents, weren't a thing until the 15th century. And the Maya civilization was just in the news recently. 
At the beginning of February, news came out that using lasers, research discovered a network of palaces, homes, and tombs in the dense jungles of modern Guatemala, just south of where our story today was set. They were expecting to find things that had been hidden by the jungle, but they were floored when they found over 60,000 structures. This is one of those discoveries that could rethink our modern understanding of the Maya. I just thought it was very cool to see one of our topics of discussion from 800 years ago was in the news. Next week, we'll stay yet again in roughly the same time period of the 13th century, but we jump back across the pond to Norway in the midst of a civil war in the 2016 film The Last King. <laughs>